0: I think the biggest challenge is employers wanting a quick fix and like a tick box. Um, It's actually incredibly frustrating sometimes um, speaking with employers that sometimes they just want to bum on a seat and it's like, well, that's great that you've been given this target to hire more women into your company, but what are the genuine initiatives that you have to be truly inclusive and make sure that women join that actually thriving?
1: Welcome to the Leaders for Good podcast. Today we sit down with Gemma Lloyd. Gemma is co founder and CEO at Work 180, whose mission is to raise organisational standards so that women can all choose workplaces where they can thrive. This is a wide ranging conversation where we touch on the differing approaches to gender equity in different countries, why a focus on gender is still so important. We examine the the difference between quotas and targets and we look at what organizations and individuals can do to start promoting greater equity. Fascinating conversation, thoroughly enjoyed talking to Gemma and we hope you enjoy listening. So without further ado we bring you Gemma Lloyd.
2: Welcome to the Leaders for Good podcast. We are very lucky to be joined today by Gemma Lloyd, the CEO and co-founder of Work180. Thank you for joining us. you for having me we'd love to start off with your story so how have you found yourself in this position having founded an amazing organization and doing the doing the work that you do
0: yeah so i started my career in the technology sector um which as i'm sure we all know is very underrepresented by women and um In that time, I worked for mainly what I refer to now as these archaic boys club type of environments. And so my first first job, um, essentially my peers would ask me to go and get their coffees, take their notes, treating me like I was one of their assistants. And to be honest, because it was one of my first corporate jobs, Um, I thought, well, this is just what work is like, um, and didn't realize it could actually be better (laughs) than that. And then I joined another company, a software engineering company, where my boss was a woman and her boss was a woman. And it was really amazing. The culture was, it was chalk and cheese in terms of differences and and how people were really included. I got headhunted, found myself back in a boys club, honestly, something from the 1950s (laughs) and thought something needs to change. And, um, created work 180 which is a place where women can go and uh in short find employers that genuinely want them there wonderful yeah
1: and and for a lot of our audience will be familiar with work 180 but then maybe a maybe a few people out there who who haven't heard of the organization and aren't aren't familiar with it could you unpack you know what is work 180 and what's the organization's mission what's your what's your ethos what are you what are you trying to achieve
0: Yeah, sure. So our mission is to raise organisational standards so that all women can choose workplaces where they can thrive. And so how we actually go about doing that is we have a platform and that platform screens uh, employers on their benefits and policies around supporting women in the workplace. If they meet a minimum benchmark, the employer can then join and essentially become endorsed by us. Women can come to the platform, read about those employers, not just their benefits, but actually also hear uh, the real voices from women in those organisations and why they like working there and apply for their uh, available job opportunities. Um, And the best thing about Work 180, from, from my perspective, it's not just getting women into these employers, it's actually working closely with the employers to help them improve. And so every two weeks, at least one benefit is improved by a work 180 endorsed employer.
2: And the platform's obviously pretty desirable. So we came across each other in some work that we do with one of our clients. And the stats that you have in terms of how many women are visiting the site from an Australia perspective anyway, on a monthly basis are pretty impressive, it might just be worth sharing those if you don't mind
0: yeah sure so in australia we reach 5 million women per month and globally we reach 9 million women per month and that's across the us and the uk as well so um, we've been in the uk for about three years and the us for about a year and a half
2: perfect and i think that's i just when we first started talking and you shared those stats it shows me what a need there is and how much women are actively seeking out these organizations that are really focused on making these changes Yeah, absolutely. And then
0: the number one most such category on our platform is tech, closely followed by mining, banking, consulting, Mm. engineering. It's all the industries where women have had experiences very similar to mine.
1: Mm. There are so many places we could take this conversation and so many questions I have. Um, uh, one that comes to mind immediately though given your international reach and and you're operating in in a few different markets are there any um striking differences between most most of our most of our listeners are are here in australia but what what are some of the differences between the australian market and say the the us or the uk and and any 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 particular lessons that you're taking from from different markets and and kind of bringing them you know bringing bringing the good and and mitigating the bad in in different locations with what you do
0: Yeah, for sure. Um different places are definitely doing some things better and some things worse than others. And so we, we do try and spread those, those learnings. If we look at the US and the UK, for example, um, one of the things they're absolutely doing better than Australia on is their inclusion around uh, race. Mm. Um, so they're measuring the racial pay gap. Um, they're also making sure that there's they're working towards racial um, inclusion in leadership, representation in leadership, sorry. Um, whereas I feel that Australia... Um, has a long way to go and actually only 5% of our Australian employers have targets around cultural and linguistic diversity and leadership. Um, One of the things that Australia is doing quite well, particularly if we compare it to the US, for example, is around our parental support. Um, So, for example, Toyota and minerals they're now paying superannuation on the unpaid portion of parental leave. Mm. And why that's important is because women are retiring with less super and so more women are living in poverty. Um, Canva EY also removed the minimum tenure um, to be able to access parental leave. So literally you could start nine months pregnant and have that benefit. We also have no uh, waiting period to access parental leave. We've hired a woman who was pregnant. She is absolutely amazing, and I know we wouldn't have got her unless we, you know, we had that benefit. Um, and then there's other examples like Altus Consulting. They have 16 hours of um, prenatal support in addition to sick leave, so people can visit uh, their appointments and such.
1: Fantastic. Um, and I guess is there is there anything beyond what you've already mentioned that you're specifically focusing on in the Australian market as a result of that? What's the I guess what's the biggest what's the biggest challenge here that that that's taking up your your headspace and where you're where yeah, where you're placing your chips?
0: <laughs> the biggest challenge. Um, do you know it's actually not necessarily benefits related, um, but that definitely comes into it. But I think the biggest challenge is employers wanting a quick fix and like a tick mm-hmm. box mm-hmm. um it's actually incredibly frustrating sometimes um speaking with employers that sometimes they just want to bum on a seat and it's like well that's great that you you know you've been given this target to hire more women into your company but what are the genuine initiatives that you have to be truly inclusive and make sure that women join that actually thriving
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and not just you know putting some women and some underrepresented groups onto your careers page.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And that's a challenge we absolutely understand because we definitely face that as well. Well, How do you work with clients in that scenario? Have Mm -hmm. you ever said no to clients that you feel are just tick boxing or do you have a different approach?
0: Um, so we do have a minimum benchmark to join the platform and actually 50% of employers don't meet that. Mm. Now, um, we do find that when employers are on board with us, it really kind of opens their eyes to a lot of things that they they could be doing. And, and that's one of the great things about working with us. But in fact, actually, most employers that just want to tick box probably don't engage with Work AT mm-hmm. because, um, because they go, oh, well, I just want to post a job. I don't want, you know, the other stuff. And it's like, well, it doesn't work like that.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Perfect. Well, that's, I guess, having those minimum standards becomes so important. Um, That's it. Love that. Okay. So I've got a question for you that I'm suspecting you get asked a fair bit, but why the focus is the focus just on women? And if so, why, why is that the case?
0: Well, women, um, So, to reach gender equity, it's going to take 135 years. And um, so, obviously, uh, it's a
1: a big, depressing (laughs) stat.
0: It is extremely depressing. And before COVID, it was 99 years. COVID has made the situation Mm. worse for women. Um, But it is very important to recognize, and it's a great question, um, because initiatives that only focus on women, the research has shown that typically only benefits straight white women. And so employers need to be focusing on that intersectional lens. What are you doing around um, women from the LGBT community, women from different racial racial representation, multiple characteristics, the other, the other piece of this from a DEI perspective is McKinsey released a report recently, uh, their Women in the Workplace report, and it showed that organisations with more women have more of a focus on DEI. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, which definitely makes sense because women tend to have been in groups that have been excluded or underrepresented, so therefore people are going to understand and have that emotional connection with the need for inclusion. So Absolutely. I can see why that would, would come to life. Great. Thank you.
1: And and bringing it to life a little bit more, uh, have you got any examples of organisations that are doing you know great work in this space, or specific initiatives from organisations that you could share just to uh, provide some provide some inspiration and some uh, yeah some some concrete examples for the audience?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um. So. One of our sayings internally, just to set some context, is progress over perfection, um, because no employer is perfect. And so I don't think it would be right for me to say, oh, this particular employer is 100 um, percent, you know, doing all the right things because we're all on a journey. Um, what I really like, um, one of the examples I really like, sorry, is um, XAPD because they have less than 20 people in their company. And so I think it's very easy to list the EYs and the NAVs and the BHPs, but when you look at you know, a company with less than 20 people that are going, we're going to do all of the right things right from the get-go and have equal representation of women in leadership, um, have the right benefits and policies set up from the beginning. It's 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 a really, really great story because I think that most of the time organisations might use that excuse a little bit of, oh, we're a bit small to be focusing on this. But XPD actually see it as a, as a business imperative.
1: Hmm. Fantastic and and in terms of so that's it a, that's a, a wonderful example of a of a small organization are, are there any of the um are there any of the the, the organizations because we've got listeners from a, a wide range at the at the kind of you know that are dealing with you know thousands of employees and um a, a maybe a favorite initiative that you've seen that you've seen launched that might be like picking between your children <laughs> so that might be an un, <laughs> an unfair question but um yeah i'll ask it anyway
0: No, I think um, my favourite initiatives are the ones like Deloitte, for example, they've got um, their parental leave has removed um, any kind of labels like primary or secondary carer Mm. and um, any new parent has access to their 18-weeks pay parental leave. And why that's um, important, I guess one of my favourites, is because the, the countries like Iceland and those Nordic countries that actually by the government mandate that men and women should have access to equal amounts of paper and to leave. They have the lowest gender gaps in the world because it eliminates this gender stereotype that women are at home looking after kids and the men are out there as the breadwinners. Mm. So that's the that's the one thing I think that Australia really needs to do better because we've just got like this blokey culture that, uh, you know, that, one of, particularly, um, you know, from like legal firms and consulting organisations, you know, when I'm speaking with um, managing partners and such, one of the things that they say to me is our biggest struggle is getting men to work flexibly or take parental leave. Right. It's a type A personality, you know, if I, if I take time off, it looks bad on my career. And for women to progress, we've got to break, break that down
1: yeah absolutely and, and that circles back to uh, something you pointed to earlier which is the the impact of covid and in terms of you know uh, role roles and responsibilities like childcare, it's fallen overwhelmingly to, to to women and we've seen more women exit the workforce permanently over the last 18 months than um I, I i don't know the stat stat exactly but but over the last number of years and um and that is because of a cultural norm that um you know that needs, uh, needs needs moving forward, um, as you say.
2: It's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's obviously, and when you talk about the number of years until we get to gender parity, when we look at the most recent CEW report that looks at women in leadership in the ASX 300, and we've only got 18 women in our top 300 company CEO roles, um, when we know that actually in the last 12 months there's only been one or two new female CEOs in those companies, and it's just, it's not changed over the last five years. how how do we get there? What do we need to do when we're hearing these like really big, scary statistics that almost make it feel impossible? What you've talked a bit about the sort of the roles, parental roles, what are the other key areas that we need to focus on as organizations to try and make this change?
0: I think um, from an organizational level, um, the influence that organisations have over other organisations is actually is significant. And mm. so we've seen companies like Australian Super saying, "If you don't have a woman on your board, we're not investing with you." Um, and so it, it's BHP is another great example that um, they have driven a lot through their suppliers around saying. What are your diversity statistics i know that telstra has done similar things so um, that's definitely a key point then there's the other piece around quotas versus targets which i know is very very controversial but you know the the reality is that uh we haven't moved the dial this has been an issue for for decades and nothing's been done and so if we don't make these sorts of firm commitments and hard moves things aren't going to change
2: Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's, I, I think we should unpack the quotas versus targets bit a bit more mm. because it's such an interesting area. But, yeah, it certainly does feel like one of those areas where there's been so much talk and there's so much focus, yet somehow change just isn't happening as quickly as we need it to, especially at that really senior leadership level. So with that, would you mind talking a little bit more about your views on quotas versus targets? Yeah, sure. So firstly, the difference
0: between the two is a quota is um, – you absolutely must have a woman in that role, whereas a target is more like a goal that we're setting or we wanna get there, but it's not mandated, so to speak. Um, Now, the the biggest argument between quotas and targets is that, well, if we have a quota, we're going to reduce the capability or we're gonna lower our standards, sorry, of the person coming into that role to find the right person for the role research actually shows and there was um a big paper done by um the what are they called now they called the coalition of change they were the male champions of change but they've they've changed their name um and it's called the merit trap and uh what it actually shows is that quotas um actually help um define better people that should be in that role. And the and the reason why is because companies go out and they say, oh, we only hire on merit, but how is merit defined? Well, it's defined on the predominant def- demographic in that group. So if your predominant def- dem- demographic is all middle-aged, white males, probably the characteristics that they look for are similar to themselves. Um, So by actually saying, by having a quota, it forces companies to really look at the criteria for that role and those standards that they absolutely must have, and instead of trying to find a mirror image of themselves, which typically happens through the recruitment process.
2: Mm. Yeah. And we've absolutely seen that with organizations that we work with. As soon as you put some really strict guidelines in place, people have to focus on it and they have to question themselves because so much of this comes down to unconscious bias, which is none of our faults. Like we all are full of bias, but what we're not doing unless we're putting things like quotas in place is really forcing people to actively look and make sure they're evaluating fairly. Um, So yeah, very supportive of that. Okay. Let's bring it back to your story and your journey if that's okay because it's it, it's a really interesting one and there was a story you told us about your sort of capital raise process when we first met that we really connected to I'd love to hear a bit more about that if that's okay. Yeah Um. so
0: when I was raising capital for Work180 because we are a venture-backed company um, I one of the pictures I did I went into the room and there was probably about 12 10 or 12 investors in that particular room and I did my pitch and uh, after that pitch they all just started hammering me with with questions which to be fair when you're raising millions of dollars you probably expect that you're going to be asked some hard questions so I didn't think too much of it at the time Um, But when I walked out of that room, you know, a few hours later in the afternoon, I got a phone call and it was an apology from the investor. The investor's called Giant Leap and actually they they are one of my investors now. Um, But they called me and said, look, we actually want to apologize to you because we had a number of pitches this morning and you were the only woman. And we reflected on our behavior and realized that we actually asked you much harder questions then we asked the men that day. And um, it was amazing to me that Giant Leap had really reflected on their behavior and called me and apologized and admitted this. And I thought that is an investor that I really want on my team because mm. they get it and they really care. And um, when 2% of venture capital uh, actually goes to, to women-founded businesses, it's incredibly important that from an investment perspective, investors you know kind of realize their, their behavior.
2: Mm. it's such a great example because it just applies to obviously in that scenario, but it applies to every single one of us as individuals, which is we're all going to be doing things without realizing, but then the trick and the real skill is not, is not having the biases. That's fine. We have them, but it's being able to catch yourself and then being able to call and apologize or to call it out. Um, And that's the, that's the real skillful part. I think in all of this is actually being able to see see that that happens and that exists so yeah love that they love that they did that
1: and 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 building on on what you both just said there as a as a follow-on in terms of your ask of organisations and how you'd like them to shift their thinking, because that's that's a great example of, of kind of in the moment just having a realisation. But if if an organisation was being intentional about shifting shifting the way they think about the, their workforce and the world, and, and and looking at the problem, what are some of the what are some of the steers you'd give them in terms of yeah what they should look at?
0: Mm. Well, that unconscious bias piece is is very very important. But what I will say. Um, when they're they're rolling out kind of unconscious bias training and things like that, it cannot be a one-off training session. Mm -hmm. It has to be ongoing. It has to be embedded because um, there was a, I think it might've been a McKinsey report as well, actually, but it it showed something like $8 billion is wasted on, on diversity trainings that, that actually can in some cases do more damage than good. And so, um, and so it needs, yeah, like I said, it needs to be ongoing, embedded into everything we do. We need to revisit like how, what are our processes? How are we doing recruitment? What are our, what are our, what do our panels look like? Um, are we getting feedback from the candidates to make sure that they felt um, like the questions that were being asked were reasonable as well? Just um, try and shed some light on these things
1: so so zooming out on that what it sounds like is just that constant that mindset of constant quest constantly constantly questioning what we do um in in terms of our approach in in all manner of organizational life is uh, is super super important to again this is a it's not a it's not a one and done as you say it's uh it's not yeah we roll out some training and then we fix that we fix that bias problem that we have in the organization yeah done
2: move on and I think also to drill down just into the training part because this is also something we're very passionate about and part of coming to this whole area was just seeing those horrible one day unconscious bias trainings that were so ineffective and often you just walk away feeling really bad about yourself it's like I'm full of bias I'm awful and we're really trying a big part of are of how we see our role is about shifting that and like bias is positive sometimes bias is actually really beneficial by what help us make sense of the world we can't process all the information that's out there but it is it's being able to to catch yourself so yeah. I think yeah training on that that works is a big focus for us and how do you actually create behavior change and as you're saying that is not from one full one day one-off training session you're not you're not going to get anything out of that so we take quite a different approach to, to how we train in that area and I think it's it's really, really important to be able to raise the level of consciousness around it across organizations if you want to be able to shift and make change. Mm
1: and and at the level of the individual as well and this might be the this might be the same answer sort of wrapped up in a wrapped up in a different way if we're thinking if we're thinking about how you know what individuals can do in their organizations so say you know this conversation's really resonated with 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 somebody who's you know maybe not on the not on the senior leadership team or the board of an organization and they they want to they want to table this and and they see this as something that needs to needs to shift in their organization what what are what are some things that you can you can point people to what would you say they should do
0: Mm. so um so the first thing is to call behaviors out As you see them um so there's that there's a saying that the standard you walk past is the standard you accept Mm. so if you see somebody who's being treated unfairly um you know or excluded you know what what are you doing to kind of support and stick up for that person and i'm not saying that that needs to be aggressive at all because i think as we've already kind of addressed that most of the time that this is an unconscious uh, behavior from people to exclude. So but it's it's it but absolutely it needs to be raised. Um then the the other piece as well is you know if you're a woman or you're from an underrepresented group and you don't feel like your employer is taking this seriously, leave. There's more jobs at the moment than there are people. And so um you know the good thing for you is that you have you have options probably out there and you should explore those. <laughs>
1: And and we see that with uh, we see that in the in the in the data as well. Organizations that have stronger approaches to things like diversity and inclusion that that have stronger um, uh, you know and well articulated and genuine sense of purpose attract and retain better talent. So actually once organizations wake up to the to the movement of the 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 highest quality people who are the most effective moving to organizations that um that share their share their ethos and share their beliefs um again it goes back to that that point you you raised earlier gemma which is one of the biggest, uh, in, one of the biggest um, factors influencing change in organisations is other organisations. So, so uh, you know, we, we've got businesses out there setting the standard and doing really great work here. That that's only going to, you know, be the uh, the raising of all boats, so to speak.
2: Right. Okay, I think a final question from me, and then Phil might have some more, I guess. But what's next for Work One? Well, for you and Work One Hundred and Eighty. I know you've said already that. <laughs> life and life and work 180 are pretty much the same for you but yeah what's what's coming next
0: yeah, so um, we met, we talked a bit about um, our, our global regions in the US and the UK. So um, we really are going to be doubling down our focus in those areas. And so I was meant to be living in New York. I had packed up all my stuff with my two-year-old and husband. We were ready to go. And um, obviously COVID hit and that didn't come to fruition at the time. But um, we are planning on probably Austin um, mm. early next year. And uh, looking to do our next capital raise from from the US as well. Um, and the the other thing is, uh, we've we've developed a gender equity index, which is a way of scoring employers. And um, so it's rolling that out on a much larger scale, so we can actually. it's it's really interesting. It's out of a hundred and the highest score we have on the gender equity index is a 77 out of a hundred. So even the best, like I said, it's progress over perfection. They still have a way to go. Mm. That
2: is really interesting.
1: Fantastic. Um, and Austin's lovely as well. I I visited there and did the South by Southwest thing (gasps) a couple of years ago. So, um, yeah, uh, Awesome. So, Gemma, thank you so much. That was uh, that was really uh, that was really illuminating. Um, if we may, we've got a few a uh, few closing questions that we ask to our guests. Uh, if that's all right, we can can dive in and ask a couple of getting to know you questions.
0: Yeah, yeah, no worries.
1: Great. So, when you're not thinking about um, equity in the in the workplace, what do you do on evenings and weekends? What are what are some some hobbies and interests outside of this? <laughs>
0: Well I have um so I have a two-year-old and um yeah he's he's pretty full on. He's you know what they say is very headstrong, um, a future leader. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so my time's taken up a lot a lot with him and um outside of Charlie, um I do a lot I've gotten into the baking through COVID because mm. there's been oh, yeah. something to do. So I'm such a stereotype there. Um and I also bought a skateboard and Ooh. Uh, that's been I have fallen off it a lot and it hurts but <laughs> it is fun where are you doing that <laughs> just around my around the streets so good. <laughs> love it
1: i've talked about that so much in workshops recently in terms of learning and whatnot because i've seen so many so many grown-ups taking up skateboarding and rollerblading and and it's like once you realize that part of learning is failure and part of failure when you're skateboarding is falling off <laughs> that made me like completely reconsider the 12 seconds where i considered skateboarding myself. <laughs>
2: awesome. um okay next one what organizations do you admire for the good that they do in the world um, there's a company called Verve Super mm. and, um, Verve is a
0: superannuation fund. It's run by women and it's a hundred percent ethical investments. And so I actually recently moved my super in, into Verve and, um, yeah, I just love the, the good that they do in terms of putting the money into the things that, um, yeah, are, are ethical. Mm.
1: Yeah, it's, it's one of the biggest, if, if you want more on that, um, go listen to the episode we had um, with Adam Verwey of uh, Future Super. Um, fantastic. He, he deep dives on that. So yeah, Australian Ethical Future Super, of, uh, uh, one of the biggest thing, changes we can make is, is where we place our money and it makes a big difference. So yeah, I love that. Um, and, and besides that, uh, as a, a sort of final question, um, besides the, the the move of the super, what are the sort of small changes or big changes have you made to more kind of sustainable living in, in your own life?
0: Mm. <laughs> so at the risk of sounding, I don't know, like a hooligan, I guess, <laughs> off the back of the skateboard <laughs> comments. I'm <laughs> so intrigued about what you're going to say next. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not as crazy as I've said it up to me. But I, um, I just get around pretty much everywhere on a scooter. Nice. Um, yeah. So I haven't had a car since, I don't know, uh, I reckon five or six years. Um, so that's definitely um, probably the, the biggest one. And aside from all the stuff that you would expect around the house and not. Do you know Uber Eats and Menu Log and things like that, like it's it's really hard because you order food from there and there's so much plastic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. so I, we've cut back a little bit on that despite it actually being yeah. one of the small pieces of joy that it brings <laughs> us during lockdown
2: mm. yeah. there you go that's a business idea right there for one of our listeners sustainable food delivery services
1: well, i think yeah. i think we just need to adopt the indian model and introduce the tiffin tin over here and just have those mm. you know reusable steel containers that, anyway sorry going down yeah. a complete rabbit hole
2: <laughs> perfect thank you very much for that chat. Any sort of parting thoughts or asks of the audience? Anything you want them to take away? Um, I think um,
0: aside from kind of what I've said earlier around calling things out, um, you know, see if your employers endorsed Come onto the mm-hmm. 180 platform, see if they're there. If they're not there, ask why aren't they there? Um, and uh, do the endorsement checks if they meet the minimum benchmark. And if they can, they do. They can. Join, you know, other great employers like Whisper and Canva and EY and all the ones doing good things.
1: Fantastic.
2: Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for listening. If you found this episode useful, the best way to support us and spread the message is by telling a friend or a colleague. You can also give us a rating or a comment on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to learn more about Leaders for Good and how you can start making positive change, head on over to leadersforgood.org and join our free community.